Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, hey, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, verse 2 through 7. Book of Leviticus, chapter 25, verse 2 through 7. It's a very obscure passage of Scripture. I don't care how long you've been in church. Chances are you've never read this passage of Scripture before. And I enjoy it because, you know, it's every once in a while I'm going to preach from David and Goliath. And it's tough to preach from David and Goliath because there's no spoiler alerts. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter how many times you preach David and Goliath, David always beats Goliath, you know. It's tough to preach about the resurrection sometimes because, spoiler alert, Jesus comes back to life at the end, right. Um, but sometimes we get into these passages of Scripture where we're not really sure how it's going to turn out. And I find that those minister to us the most because it's the most that relates to life. In life, we don't know how it's going to turn out. So we read these new things and kind of takes us on a journey. To give you some context, the book of Leviticus was written to the Israelites. We're coming out of slavery, uh, 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and they're coming out of it. And now they're about to step into the promised land, but God is giving them uh, kind of the, the way to live once they step into their promise. And so this is still relevant today because we are the people of the promise. Come on, somebody say amen. We are the people of God's promise. And in order to step into that promise, there are some things that we need to, uh, there's a way that we need to live. And, and I, I think this is God speaking to us today. Are people about to step into the most exciting season of our lives? Come on, if you believe that, say amen. I really do believe this next season for Journey Church and this next season for you is going to be one of the most exciting, one of the most fruitful seasons of your life. And God is here today to give you some instructions for stepping into that season. That's what Leviticus is. So Leviticus chapter 25 verse 2 goes like this. When you enter the land that the Lord is giving you, you shall honor the Lord by not, somebody say not, cultivating the land every seventh year. You shall plant your fields, prune your vineyards, and gather your crops for six years. But the seventh year is to be a year of complete rest for the land, a year dedicated to the Lord. Do not, somebody say not, plant your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not, someone say not, even harvest the grain that grows by itself without being planted. And do not, someone say not. Gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. It is a year of complete rest for the land. And although the land has not, somebody say not, been cultivated during that year, here's God's promise, it will provide for you. That's a good word. It will provide for you. I want you to nudge the person to your left and to your right and give them the title of today's talk. Tell them nothing works. Nothing works. Nothing works. I had the joy, the honor, the privilege of um, going camping with my kids this past week, which was really exciting. It was everything they thought it would be and everything they didn't think it would be. <laughs> they assumed that we would have air conditioning in the woods. We did not. <laughs> they assumed that the mosquitoes would leave us alone. They did not. And they assumed that there would be a refrigerator. There was not. <laughs> You know, they assumed that mom would be there to cook food. She was not. <laughs> so, and it was fun. And one of the things that got me really excited was um, I got to do with my kids what my dad had did with me. And so when I was younger, my dad would take me camping. And uh, it was a different, little bit different camping. Pennsylvania woods and Florida woods are a little bit different. Um, but nonetheless, it was still fun. We had a great time. And it was actually one of my ten goals. I set ten goals at the beginning of every year. Some are family-oriented. Others are uh, church-oriented or health-oriented. And uh, my family goal was to go on a camping trip with my dad and my kids, three generations of Vasquez's together, and, uh, and it was fun. And one of the things that we did that I had never done before, I know, I'm in my 30s, I'd never done this before, but I'd never gone fishing. 
in my life. And so uh, one time, I was a kid, I don't even remember it. So I went fishing with my son, my other son, and my dad. And I had never been fishing. And now I have my son who's got a fishing rod in his hand. And I had to teach my son how to fish even though I don't know how to fish. And every father knows we just do what we do all the time anyway. We just make this up as we go along. If you're a dad, let me give you some insight about your dad. He didn't take a parenting class before he had you. He's just making this stuff up as he goes along. That's why it takes him so long to punish you because he's not sure what the right punishment is. He's just like, you know, just I could, the time ran out, you know. So I had to spank you. I know I had to do something. Sometimes I look at my kid for like five minutes just waiting. He thinks I'm mad. I'm really just trying to figure out what is the proper route. So I'm like, you, I look at him, he's just, don't you do that ever again. And so, so I'm making up fishing rules. And if you've never been fishing before, what I'm going to say is going to make sense because it sounds right. But if you have been fishing before, you look at me and you feel bad for your pastor because, you know, I have no clue what I was doing. So I took justice out there. And first we got worms and the worms were dead. That's mistake number one. So the worms are supposed to be alive and move around. I didn't know that. But um, I did figure that they had to move a little bit. So we took the, uh, the worm, we put the worm on the hook, we threw it in the, in the pond and we were, we're reeling it in. And I'm telling justice, I'm like, all right, justice, you got to move it around a little bit. Because in my mind, you got to like make it pretend like it's alive, you know. You got to like make it move and stuff. So I'm like, okay, go left to right, you know. Now go up and down and the fish is doing the Harlem shake in the water. You know, the worm is doing the dance thing. And, and so, and, and he's, and no catch, no catch. And so I'm like, all right, well, we got to do something. So let's move over to this side of the dock. All right, now we got to recast it. And I, now I'm thinking, like, I'm mixing up fly fishing and just regular fishing. So I'm like, all right, you got to go back and then you got to go forward and then you got to go back. And then you got to release, and then we release, and it goes farther. And I was like, all right, now you got to reel it in real slow. Like, I'm going to tease the fish. You know, just tease him. Just kind of pull it in and, and pull it back and then tease him. And the, anyway, so my father is over there. He's been fishing a ton of times. He's got Zane, and he looks over at me, and he's like, uh, he looks over at Justice. By that time, I've, you know, given him some space. That's what good parents do when we don't know what we're doing. We let you make the mistake and then correct you afterwards. And so my father comes by, and he's like, he's like Justice, what are you doing? And I'm like, I know, right? What is this kid doing? My goodness. And, uh, and he's like, why are you moving it around like that? I'm like, why are you moving it around like that? He's like, but dad, you don't talk back. Because now I got my son who I'm trying to impress. But every son knows you never stop trying to impress your dad. And so now I'm trying to impress my dad and my son. I'm like, I know. I tried to show him. But he just, you know. She doesn't know. And so my dad is telling my son, he's like, what are you doing? No, no. This is what you do. He goes, you leave it there. He goes, and you, and you do nothing. He was like, because if you keep moving it, the fish isn't going to be able to catch it. And all fishermen know that. Fishing is a patient man's game or a patient woman's game. You have to, you have to stand there and you got to do nothing. And as you do nothing, the fish then comes and grabs it. And I think the irony of, of the moment, of course, is that nothing was working. And so I decided to do something when in reality the solution to nothing working was in fact to do nothing. And now you understand the title of my message. What I'm trying to get across to you is that sometimes nothing works. Sometimes. Now, I'm preaching to anybody who has ever lived through a season where it felt like nothing was working. Have you been there? If so, say amen. Have you ever been in a season where nothing is working? Of course, the tension is implied within the, the phrase itself, the way that it's worded. Nothing is working. It implies that you are working, but the thing that you're working on is not working. You know, I'll try to bring it home. I'll give you some examples. You spend years working on the diploma, but the diploma is not working. Still got no career. You've been years working with doctors and working with different medications, but the medication is not working. You're still sick. You still haven't found your healing. 
You spend months working with a new tutor, working with a new prep test, but the extra help's not working. You're still failing your class. You spend hours working on meditation and working with a counselor, but the therapy is not working. You're still depressed. You spent months working on your weight, working on your diet, working out five times a day, but working out's not working because you're still single. <laughs> you're like, I could have sworn with the bicep, came a bride. Nope. Maybe you spent 21 days working something out with the Lord in prayer recently, but now it seems like prayer's not working because you still don't have your answer. You're still confused, and you do what everyone does when they get to the nothing stage. What do we do? We quit. And I feel like I have a message today for someone who is on the verge of quitting on a promise that God is waiting for you to grab. And if you feel like you're on the verge of quitting today, this is for you. Of course, you know that quitting is not a decision. It's actually a journey. It oftentimes begin with, begins with determination. You know, we are determined about something, maybe a goal or a prayer or a family member, a weight loss goal, a relationship goal. It begins with determination, with something. We're determined about something, but the determination leads to frustration. We try to work it out and it doesn't work and then eventually frustration turns into desperation. I say it this way, we go from something to anything. <laughs> Something's not working, so we're like, oh, God, send me anything, anything. I'll take it, anything. And then after designation comes resignation. We quit because we enter into the nothing stage. And I think the reason why we resign here is because we interpret nothing as the end. But nothing is not the end. In fact, I think the irony is that this book here, it doesn't end in nothing. It ends in something. But isn't it funny that it begins in nothing? If I would describe the scene in Genesis to you as lifeless, formless, hopeless. You would think that I was talking about a grave, but I'm not talking about a grave. I'm talking about creation. What am I trying to say to you? Nothing seems like a grave to us, but to God, nothing is a canvas. A canvas on which God does his best work, or let me say it another way, nothing works. Nothing works. God does his best work in the nothing. Imagine what it was like for the people who lived in an agricultural society to take a year off of work, to not work, to do nothing. And even though God was with them during the six years of them working, he wanted to show them a true miracle by providing for them while they did nothing. And I feel like God was speaking to me today. He was saying, JJ, as long as you keep doing something, I can do nothing. But if you get to the end of your nothing, I will do something. I will do something if you get to the end of it. Now I need to, I need to, I need to add a little caveat here. I am not advocating laziness. I need to say that because there's a 16-year-old who is here at church today whose mother is going to ask them to clean their room. And three hours later, the mother's going to come back and the room is still going to be dirty. And the mother is going to ask them why they did not clean their room. And you say, what are you doing? And you're going to say, nothing in the name of Jesus. Because that's what pastor said. He said to do nothing. There's a husband here who is going to let the trash overflow in the kitchen. And when his wife asks him why he's not throwing out the trash, he says, I'm just trying to be obedient to the man of God. He said to do nothing, and so I am doing nothing in Jesus' name. God is going to throw out the trash. No. Okay. The key, as a matter of fact, the, when, I don't, when I'm saying nothing, I don't, mean, I don't mean do nothing. I mean do nothing after you've tried everything. In fact, the key verse in this passage here is verse 3 where it says, after six years of work, 
after six years of work, then do nothing. The Sabbath day is a day off after six days of work. You got to do your part. Here's how I know it. God can do what you can't do, but he won't do what you won't do. You got to do your part and then God will do his part. I'm not preaching to the lazy person. I'm preaching to the control freak this morning. I'm preaching to the person who's just got to do something. They have a vision of what their life is going to look like and they refuse to believe that God's goals for them are different than their goals for themselves. And so when they reach the end and when they reach the end and when they reach nothing, they go, I just got to find something. There's got to be something I can do to break through. There's got to be, yeah, you know what? Sometimes your something is nothing. And sometimes it takes more faith to do nothing than it does to do something. Sometimes it takes faith to say nothing. Got real silent right there. That's, what I, that's right. Sometimes it takes faith to say nothing. Jesus would have said a big amen there because in Matthew chapter 27 when he's on trial, the prosecutor is trying to uh, uh, get him to a guilty verdict. And, and the guilty verdict is, is, is the execution, death. And Pilate and the chief priests are, are, are persecuting him. Look what it says in verse 12. While the chief priests and leaders were accusing him, he said nothing. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear how many charges they're bringing against you? The story continues in John chapter 19. Pilate said, you refuse to speak to me. Don't you know I have power to set you free and power to have you crucified? Jesus answered, the only power you have over me is the power given to you by God. By God. You know, uh, I learned that sometimes you need to say nothing. Um, I learned that when I was real young. In the, very, in the first grade, my parents had sent me to a, a Christian school. Um, I'm going to go ahead and throw quotations there. Um, a, a Christian school that actually ascribed to capital punishment. That means that she had to sign a waiver in the beginning, giving the principal permission to spank me when I was out of line. And she's laughing in the front row and you're laughing, but she's also our, our, our children's pastor. You didn't get that waiver before you signed up? You didn't get that? I'm just, I'm just kidding. We would never. I'm just kidding. So one day I got into an argument with my first grade teacher in language arts. We were arguing over the long and short pronunciation of vowels. And we got into an argument over A. She said that A sounds like A or A. And I was like, nah. It sounds just like A. And I, 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 I rebelled against her in the middle class. She sent me to the principal's office and the principal spanked me, y'all. With a paddle, get this, that had holes in the, so that air resistance would not slow the paddle down on the way down to my tush. Got spanked, sent me home with a letter. I learned really quickly that day, by the way, I still left thinking I was right, but I learned, I learned really quickly that day that it doesn't matter who's right or who's wrong. What matters is who has the power. And when I look at the face of politics today, when I watch the interviews on CNN and, and on Fox News and when I look at the social media feeds today and when I hear the arguments that married couples are having and worse, how they started, I think to myself, you know, sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. But I get why we say it because if you were like me, you were taught as a child that, that you need to speak up for yourself. And that's great advice when, when someone is bullying you. And that's great advice when you're being abused. And that's great advice when you see injustice. But it's advice that leads you to a false conclusion that you are your only defender. And that is not the case. That is not the case. 
And, and, and what I want to do is, and if you don't speak up for yourself, then you're weak. That's what my uncle told me, Jose. If you don't speak up, if you don't fight back, you're weak. And I'm not advocating weakness. The Bible doesn't teach us about weakness, but the Bible does teach us about this forgotten trait called meekness. And I know Justin Timberlake brought sexy back in 2006, but I'd like to bring meekness back in 2018 because I feel like as a church we've lost it. Do you know what meekness is? Weakness is that you have no power. But meekness is that you know you have power, but out of love for someone else you choose not to use it. Jesus was not weak because they, he let them take him to the, he didn't defend himself. He was meek because he knew who his defender was. He wasn't weak because they let, he let them take him to the cross on Friday. He was meek because he knew that God would roll away the stone on Sunday. He knew the power that he had, and he knew the power that God had. So he chose to hold that. He chose to hold that. He held back. He had the words. And I just want to encourage you. Listen, you don't need to respond to that comment on your social feed. You don't need to fight with that boss or argue with that spouse. Because every time you do, you give them power that they don't have over you. That's not their power. You got the power, they said in the 90s. Snap. I've got the power. Anyway, all about old songs today. Uh, you've got the power. God's got the power. Every time you choose to argue, you are giving them the power. And so what if you're somebody who has to say something? You just have to say, I'm sorry, Pastor, I get you, but I just got to say something. Then say something to God. Vent to God. Pour your heart out to him. Pour your issues out to him. And let him fight your battle. He is your defender. Now let me tell you something, it can either be your problem or God's problem, but it can't be both your problems at the same time. So give it to him. Give it to him. Give it to him. Give it to him. And if you have trouble saying something, it's saying nothing, it's probably because you trust nothing. You trust nothing. Or you don't trust anything, and I mean this to say that you ought to trust the nothing. Let me explain this. I'm going to need some help. Pastor Patrick, will you come up real quick? In Genesis chapter 32, verse 25, you got a man named Jacob. And Jacob is just minding his own business when in the middle of the night, Jacob gets jumped. He is in his tent, minding his own business, and he gets jumped. And he gets beaten up by a man. And the man starts wrestling with him. And now we jump into this story right after the wrestling match begins. And when the man saw, verse 25, chapter 32 in Genesis. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so they start wrestling. And then this is an illustration. Chill out. Um, and so they start wrestling. And, and while they're wrestling, Jacob says, let me go. And God says, I'm not letting you go. And he says, let me go and bless me. And, and, and God says, if you let me go, I'll bless you. And now, and now it seems like an easy decision. I'm going to let go and you're going to bless me. So, cool, cool, cool. Okay. Let go on three. One, two, three. Let go on three, God. Come on. You said if I let go, you're blessing. You're right. One. Two, three. Why? Because you're the one that jumped me. You jumped me and you want me to let go of you? No. You let go first. <laughs> Honestly, you got to think. Listen, his, Jacob's socket is already wrenched. He's fighting God, who he doesn't know is God yet. And he's, he thinks he's God. He has a hunch, but he's not sure. And he's asking, and, he's, and, and, and God is saying, if you let go, I'll bless you. And he's like, yeah, but you already beat me up. I'll let go. I have no problem letting go. You let go first. How do I know you're not going to hurt me even more? Is that not a fair question? You've already dislocated my socket, my hip. How do I know you're not going to rob me? How do I know you're not going to harm me more? Here's the answer. You don't. 
But sometimes doing nothing requires trust. He said, let go. And if you let it go, I'll bless you. <laughs> if you let it go, I'll bless you. Even though God's beating you up? Yeah. I, 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 hear, I hear Job speaking to us from the Old Testament. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Has anybody in church today felt, ever felt like God was beating you up? Just taking people out of your life? Sickness after sickness, financial crisis after financial crisis. And still they ask you to come to church. And still they ask you, yeah. Because sometimes the nothing, you got to trust in the nothing. And so, and, so, and so Jacob lets go so that God can bless him. And now I don't hear the spirit of Job. Now I hear the spirit of frozen. <laughs> let it go. Let it go. No holding back anymore. I hate that song. I hate it because it's stupid. Because this is what they tell you in church, you know. Let it go. Let it go. Just let it go. But what if the thing that I'm wrestling with means a lot to me? How do I let that go? What if my child, what if my four-year-old's fighting leukemia? And I walk into the hospital as a pastor and I go, let it go, let it go. No, get out of here. You let it go. You go, go. No. It's my kid. I'm not letting go of anything. What if you got a best friend who's drinking their life away and you meet with a pastor who goes, man, I don't know what to do about my best friend. And the pastor says, let it go. No, that's my best friend. They might not survive till tomorrow. Here's what I love about Jacob. He didn't let it go. Remember that he was wrestling. It might look like he was letting go, but in wrestling, you don't let go. You give it up. And there's a difference between letting go and giving it up. Because when I let it go, I'm not sure who's watching it. I'm not sure who's taking care of it. But when I give it up, I'm taking it from my hands and putting it in someone else's hands. I didn't, Jacob didn't let go of his life. He gave up his life to God and put his life in God's hands. Listen, this is the best advice I can give you today. Don't let it go. Give it up. Give up your financial issues. Give up the business issues. Give up your fertility issues. Give up your health issues. Give it up to God. Put it in his hands and he will take care of you because he loves you. He wants to, he wants to guard you. He wants to guide you. Give it up. Come on, if you're giving it up to Jesus, give him some praise. Give him some praise. Thank you, ma'am. Give it up to God. Don't let it go. Give it up. Give it up. You got to learn to trust in the nothing. And when you trust in the nothing, you can obsess nothing. Obsess nothing, y'all. Obsess nothing. Here's what the Bible says, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. I'm a planner. Raise your hand if you're a planner in this place. I'm a big-time planner. Here's how much of a planner I am. I am a mess... I, I plan out, all of 2018 sermons were planned out in 2017. So the messages that we preach today, we've planned out a year ago. I, I'm, a, I'm a planner. I love to plan. I'm also uh, an over-planner. Raise your hand if you're an over-planner. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I are, you guys are a little more shy on that one. But uh, my wife and I are taking a 13-day a trip to Europe. And uh, it's our 10-year anniversary, by the way. Uh, so thank you. It's going to happen in October. And so please continue to come to church. And so... Um, I'm on vacation, you're not. And so uh, it's been, we've been planning it for five years, saving up money for it for five years. 
and uh, I am over planning this thing, okay? Um, we have uh, booked the flights in February. We booked the hotels already. I've even got, like, where we're going to lunch. Like, it's already laid out. Um, I'm also from New York. I'm a little suspicious. I've gotten so far in the over planning stage that I've even done research on where the hood is at. <laughs> in Europe, because everybody knows everybody's got a hood somewhere. Florida's got hoods too. If you're new to this city, don't be fooled by the palm trees and the gated communities. Is there a park, is there a cop parked outside? You're in the hood, okay. And so I'm researching where the hood is at in Europe. I don't want to go there. And that's okay because over planning, over planning is good. And that, in that case, I tell you, over planning can save your life. But overthinking can rob you of living. And there is a difference between over planning and over thinking. If you've ever eaten dinner at a Hispanic person's house, then you have been introduced to this thing called sazon. Uh, sazon is an orange seasoning that uh, they put on the food that changes the color of the food. You know this if your food has ever come out orange, okay? If you had chicken at someone's house and it came out orange or rice orange, you're like, what part of the chicken is this? I'm not really sure. If your coffee is orange, they probably put sazon in it. And uh, when Liz first started cooking, she would put sazon on everything, which was fine. But in addition to the sazon, she would add like oregano. And then she would add like basil and add thyme. And I'm like, you don't need to add any more seasoning. Sazon is literally translated into the word seasoning. Once it's orange, it's good. You don't need to add anymore. And I guess the logic is if some seasoning is good, then a lot of seasoning is better. But there does come a point of over seasoning. <laughs> and what I'm trying to tell you is that there's a problem in your life. If there's a project in your life, if there's a person that you've been thinking about, there needs to come a point where you realize, hey, I've thought about this enough. That's why you don't sleep at night because you're over seasoning your problems. You're over-seasoning your projects. You're over-seasoning that relationship. You can't sleep because you keep on thinking and thinking and thinking. And you have left the world of thinking and you have moved into the world of obsession. And obsession will rob you from living. Well, how do I know then if I'm a planner or if I'm an obsessor? Listen, this is good for you to know. You plan what you can do. But the moment you start to think about things you can no longer do... That's obsession. So here's the question I ask you before you go to bed at night. Or when you go to bed at night and you're stressed out, here's the question. Can you do anything about it right now? If the answer to that question is yes, plan. If the answer to that question is no and you've done all that you can do, the best thing you can do for you, your spouse, your health is go to bed. Don't obsess. Put it in God's hands and rest in the nothing. And believe that while you're doing nothing, he's doing something. He is working it out behind the scenes. He is making it happen. And if you're still working after that, it's, it's not because you have an obsession problem. It's because you have a prove it problem. You're trying to prove to somebody that you're worth something. And I want to encourage you to prove nothing. You have nothing to prove, woman of God. You got nothing to prove, man of God. Nothing to prove. Here's one of my most favorite scriptures in all the Bible. Do your best, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best, somebody say best, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, 
rightly handling the word of truth. As you read this verse, there is a, a conflict because we have do your best in the present tense, but we have approved in the past tense. And that just doesn't make sense because in our world, you don't get the paycheck until you work. Yet Jesus says here, or Paul says here, that in, my, in God's world, it works differently. We already have been paid and that's why we work. We have already been approved and that's what helps us do our best. And that makes sense if you've ever felt pressure to be good at something. If you've felt pressure to be a perfect wife. If you felt pressure to be a perfect son or daughter. If you've worked pressure to be a perfect business owner. Pressure to be the, uh, the perfect friend. It's impossible. Why? Because the moment that pressure comes on, the pressure to prove it, you collapse under that pressure. And you can't give your best. You can't give your best because the pressure's on. So God knew that and so he flipped it. And what he said was, when I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross, I was establishing your worth before you ever breathed a breath. When he died on the cross, I said to you, so you come out of the womb and I'm telling you, you are already proven. You are already worth it. You don't have to prove your worth. I proved your worth by sending my son to die on the cross. And now that you have been proven, listen, now you are free to do your best. We do our best for the approval. But in God's kingdom, it's opposite. He has already approved us and now we are free to do our best. That's deliverance right there, y'all. I'm speaking to that parent who just yelled at their kid and is freaking out now because I am hard. Listen, you have already been approved. Now go ahead and do the best job you can do as a parent and rest. And rest. I'm speaking to that business owner who has been reading a lot of Inc. magazine, a lot of Success magazine, and your business is not on the Fortune 500, Fortune 5000, Fortune 500,000, Fortune 5 million. <laughs> you are not even on that list somewhere. And you're frustrated because you're comparing yourself to other people's successes as if, as if, as if reaching some sort of net sales number is going to prove something about yourself. Christ has already proven everything that he needs to prove about you on the cross. Here's what you do now. You do your best and trust God to do the rest. Speaking to the Christian who tried to do that whole 21 days of prayer thing and got in like 2.1 days of prayer instead. And you're frustrated and you're desperate and you're about to resign because I'm trying to give this thing called Christianity a go but I keep on flopping and I keep on flailing and I keep on messing up. Hear me. You've already been proved. So now rest in the fact that you've been proved. Do your best that you can serving God and let God do the rest. You be the best Christian you know how. You be the best husband you know how. The best wife you know how. Be the best friend you know how. Be the best student that you know how. And then let God do the rest. Listen, you are free when you understand this. And if you're taking notes, you can go ahead and write this down. I have nothing to prove and only one to please. nothing to prove and only one to please now look at your neighbor and tell him and it's not you <laughs> I don't care if it's your husband or your wife here here boo boo I love you but it ain't you I love you man of God I love you woman of God but it ain't you I've got I've got nothing to prove and only one person to please my father in heaven and if I please him you'll be pleased if I please him he'll take care of my life nothing to prove and only one to please you're here today and this message has resonated with you. 
Maybe you caught on. You know, you, you need something to do while you do nothing. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. Maybe you caught it. Say nothing. Trust nothing. Obsess nothing. Prove nothing. Here's what you need to do. Stop. Just stop. You've given it your best. You've tried your hardest. Now, will you just rest in the grace of God that he can finish what you started? Will you just rest now? Just stop. But I got to do something. I got to make it happen. Let it go. Don't let it go. Give it up. Give it up to God. Just stop and rest. But I got to do something. Okay. Okay, fine. Here's the something that you can do while you do nothing. Worship. In fact, that's the definition of worship. And that's what differentiates it from praise. When we praise God, we praise God for what he's doing in our life and what he's done in our life. But worship is not what we do when he's doing. Worship is what we do when we have nothing. Worship is what we do when it seems like he's doing nothing. That's why God told Moses, when you go to the people of Israel, tell them that my name is I am. Because as slaves, they had nothing. They couldn't praise God because there was nothing in their life to praise God for. So instead, God pointed to his identity. He said, you can't praise me because you got nothing to praise me for. But you can worship me for who I am. Because even when you're weak, I'm strong. Even when you're poor, I'm rich. Even when you're broken, I'm still God. I'm still here. I, you can worship me for who I am. You can worship me. So every head down, every eye closed, I, I want to speak to a, a people today. Listen, you got nothing going on. You are at the end of your rope. You don't know what to do. You are living in the nothing. Nothing works. And it's in this place that God wants to meet you. Maybe you're far from Christ. Maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus out loud before. You've never made, or you did, but it was years ago. And today you want to start fresh. You want to start new. If that's you, when I say three, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. This is a moment of privacy. All over this building, I want you to shoot your right hand at the sky as a signal. Yes, Lord, I need you. Yes, Lord, I want you. Yes, Jesus, coming in my heart. I, I, nothing's going on in my life. I'm at the end of my rope. I need you to do something in my nothing. If that's you, when I say three, I want you to shoot your hand up high. If that's you, one, two, all over this place, on three. One, two, three. Shoot your right hand up if that's you. There is nothing going on, but you want God to do something in your nothing. Come on, I see that hand, brother. I see that hand. Sister, I see that hand. Put your head down, hand down. Church, if you're here today, would you pray this prayer with me? Father God, I got nothing. But you got something. I give you my life. Do something with my nothing. Take control. I surrender. I give it up. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us, amen at journeyorl.com 
where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option. Or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.